Okay, uh, today we're going to get into some real stuff where we're kind of peering way back in, in evolution about how life first learned to, to make energy. But before we do that, I just want to finish up uh, talking a little bit more about uh, enzymes, the, the biological uh, catalysts that are critical for life to exist, and about how energy is stored. I want to clarify a point that clearly con uh, confused a couple of you in the last lecture. So the, the, the Gibbs free energy that we talked about told, can tell us that a reaction could go, and in, in this case, would actually release energy if it occurred, if these reactants were converted to these products. But the problem for most <coughs> reactions is that you don't, <coughs> they, in order for the reaction to take place, there's a state in the middle, some chemical state known as the transition state, which is energetically less favorable than either the reactants or the products. And this makes, if A and B are going to convert to C and D, they have to probably start coming together in some kind of way, and that becomes energetically unfavorable. And this gives this activation energy. Or delta G, zero, zero. And if the cell wants react chemical reactions to take place at 25 degrees centigrade aqueous solution, it has to do something about that. And so it employs biological catalysts. And what a catalyst does, as you've heard in chemistry, is it lowers the activation energy in some way so that the molecules have enough energy just within their normal energy distribution at that temperature to get over the to get over the hump these biological catalysts come in two flavors as i said they're enzymes which are made of protein with all those amino acids that we side chains that we talked about when the thing folds up in three-dimensional space, form a little chemical environment that enables that activation energy to be lowered. There are also a few, not so many, but we now know that there are uh, catalysts made out of, of RNA. These are called ribozymes. There are not so many of them, but they're important. Now, the characteristics of these that are important is the specificity Each enzyme or ribozyme is highly specific for a given reaction. So that means the reaction probably won't go, will barely go, unless that uh, enzyme, or in some cases ribozyme, is present. And so that's really the secret to how cells control all of these many, many, many hundreds or thousands of, bio of chemical reactions that take place that are necessary for life. Because what they need to do, and if they um, want to control whether a reaction takes place or not, is they control, the availability or the activity of 
an enzyme. And when we talk about gene regulation, you'll see, for example, one way a cell might do it is to not even bother to make the enzyme unless it wants a particular reaction to take place. Or it could take an enzyme that's there and put little bells and whistles on it that, that make it more active or less active. And we'll see an example of that very soon. So that is the secret to how cells are then able to regulate metabolism. And these <clears throat> biological catalysts use a whole variety of different molecular mechanisms, although all of them follow this principle that what they're trying to do is to uh, lower the activation energy. So I'll just give you an example. I, I showed you uh, of how one particular enzyme does it just in sort of cartoon form. I told you, gave you the example of glutamate being converted to glutamine. Now, both of those are amino acids that are critical for making proteins. The cell has to make both of them. But as I showed you, converting glutamate to glutamine is energetically unfavorable. It's got a delta G of plus uh, 7. And then I showed you if you had an ATP going to ADP at the same time, you could actually drive the whole reaction forward because there was a net gain. But how is that actually accomplished? And it's the enzyme. Uh, that, that carries this out, and I'll just show you, as I say, in sort of cartoon form. The way the enzyme works, it has one binding pocket for glut glutamic acid or glutamate. It fits in here, it makes lots of specialized contacts, all those sort of interact molecular interactions we're talking about. And it also binds this molecule adenine uh, triphosphate or ATP, which is an adenine, a ribose, and then three phosphates joined together. And it makes interactions along here that enable it to bind very specifically. Now, by providing all this binding energy for ATP and for glutamic uh, acid, what the enzyme has done is positioned the carboxyl group of glutamic acid right next to the last uh, phosphate on the ATP. This enables this to form a bond here, which liberates ADP and leaves you now with the glutamic acid with a phosphate on. You can kind of, that reaction goes forward um, because you broke the bond of ATP, but this is still a pretty unhappy molecule. It's got a lot of oxygens in very close proximity. So it has another, the enzyme has another binding pocket that's absolutely specific for ammonia. Won't fit water, which is very close, which is a good thing because that would just reverse the process. The ammonia gets in there and then it, attacks here and liberates the phosphate, and that then takes, gives you glutamine and the inorganic phosphate. So the, the enzyme has provided this, this binding surface that makes the reactions uh, go at, at biolog under biological conditions, but it's also managed in the same process to have it go by a mechanism in which it sort of temporarily captured that, that energy that's in the ATP bond and then used it to drive the rest of the reaction. I mean, it's just about magic how all of this developed. It's really amazing, but that's how every single biochemical step in your body takes place. Virtually all of them require an enzyme that in some way is highly tuned to do just the one single reaction. They said the, the principle of how this, these enzymes work is they, they lower the activation energy, and the way they do that in general is they provide a binding pocket that resembles the transition state. So as things approach here, then it fits best into the pocket, and therefore you get some energy back and kind of lower the energy hump that's necessary to go over. 
And here's a reaction we're going to be show I'll be showing you in today's lecture. It's going to involve the transfer of a phosphate to a, a glucose. Um, and the first thing that happens is this enzyme interacts with ATP and takes one of the phosphates and attaches it to one of its, its aspartic acid carboxyl groups. So you've got a, actually a mixed-in hydride, if you know chemistry. But again, it's a sort of it's captured that phosphate. This is a very unstable bond, and so you, if you break it, you'll you'll release energy. And what the enzyme does is it allows the hydroxyl of here to come and attack this phosphate, and that then releases the aspartate of the enzyme, and you end up affecting the transfer of the phosphate that began life on ATP, and now it ends up on the glucose. But as you can see here, phosphate has four, interacts with four atoms. But as this hydroxyl comes in, it has to attack the phosphate. And somewhere in the middle, there's an intermediate where all of these things are interacting. And some crystallographers actually managed to capture that in a crystal structure. And here you can see, this is the, the, the oxygen coming from the sugar. This is the oxygen of the aspartate. And here is the phosphate where it's now, as the attack's taking place, the thing is sort of pushed out and it's caught right at that transition state. And that's what the enzyme is providing a binding pocket for and thereby lowering the activation energy. It's a, it's a really beautiful piece of, of structural work. The second thing then I want to um, clarify was this molecule ATP which is, as I say, it's like energy money for the cell. When there's a reaction where it can extract energy, it tries to make ATP. And then when there's a uh, reaction that doesn't want to go, it will somehow figure out a way to spend that energy and make the reaction go forward. And the molecule, just to put it again, because it's a pretty important one in biology, that's adenine, which you already saw when we talked about nucleic acids. And it's got three phosphates like this. You can see it's probably a pretty unhappy molecule because it's got all of these oxygens stuck together. And if you break this, break this bond, then you release some energy. So you could think of it as this, in this kind of way, that if we have ADP, which is adenosine uh, diphos, uh, um, 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 diphosphate plus inorganic phosphate. But ATP is here, and if you were to break the bond and make it back into ADP and inorganic phosphate, then you would have gone energetically downhill. But in order to make this, you could think of it as taking inorganic phosphate ion and uh, this ADP. If you start pushing them together, the negative uh, charges are going to repel, and you're going to go up an energy hill. But if you ever get them close enough, then they start to share electrons, and they fall into this sort of energy well. And this is what ATP is. And so it's sort of like taking a spring and pushing it together. And then when you form the bond, it's like you put a little hook on it. And now you've got this spring that's compressed. And it's, it's stable. It won't do anything. But there's energy stored in there that you can, that you can use. And it's the same principle in terms of uh, how the, the cell stores energy within, um, within ATP. 
And this energy uh, is stored think of it in bundles of about 12 kilocalories per mole. That's about how much energy is, is released under physiological conditions when you hydrolyze that bond. So hydrolyzing ATP to give ADP plus inorganic phosphate would give you have a delta G of minus 12 kilocalories per mole under physiological uh, conditions. Now something in terms of evolution, which I know a number of you said you were interested in, Here's a really interesting thing. This is the main energy storage molecule for the cell, but you've heard about it before because adenosine, that's the, the nucleotide that we find in RNA, and in fact, ATP is also the precursor, as we'll learn, for making, ATP, for making RNA. Now, one of the things that have puzzled scientists for many years is how did life ever get started in the first place? There seemed to be a chicken and egg issue that proteins did the work and DNA stored the information and RNA was kind of a messenger in between and we'll talk a lot about that in, in between. So how could you ever get life started? So the current thinking is that sometime, if you remember in that first lecture, we had about 4.5 billion years ago and the first organism, something like today's bacterium showed up here about maybe 3.8 billion years ago, that somewhere in between there is what people are now thinking of as an RNA world, where RNA managed to do, act as a ribozyme and catalyze chemical reactions, but it also had the capacity to uh, store information. But it's sort of intriguing, although no one's proven that, it's just a hypothesis. We also see that the major energy storage molecule found in all living things is also a building block of RNA. It certainly sort of fits with that kind of idea. Now there's one other kind of reaction that I'm going to have to tell you about. Penny will talk quite a bit about this when you're thinking about how organisms make living. But these, this is a set of reactions known as redox reactions. So the loss of one or more electron is called an oxidation. And the gain of one or more electron is called a reduction. If you're going to take away an electron, somebody else has to get it. So these things always happen together. And therefore, they're given the term redox reactions where electron from somebody goes to somebody else. So somebody gets oxidized and somebody gets reduced in the same reaction. And you can think of them as a transfer of hydrogen atoms, not hydrogen ions. And the most familiar kind of sequence that you will see over and over again in biology is the sequence you go from, let's say, a methyl group to an alcohol with a hydroxyl, to an aldehyde or a ketone with a double bond oxygen, to a carboxyl group. You go one more step, then it's CO2. So going in this direction, it's an oxidation. If it's going in that direction, the molecules are getting reduced. And just the same way 
that this, the cell and life have molecules that store energy in ATP. They also have an important molecule that stores electrons. And that uh, molecule uh, is known as NAD, or nicotinamine adenosine um, um, dinucleotide. plus and its structure is it's a a ribose a five carbon sugar and it's got this entity on it this is in your book so don't worry if you don't get the get, don't get the structure down there's a positive charge on the nitrogen here and it's joined through a diphosphate linkage to guess what? Another molecule of adenosine. Here we find, uh, again, a piece of a thing we find in RNA is now part of this, this uh, system for storing electrons. And the way this works is if you have two hydrogen atoms transferred to here, then this, this entity right here goes to this plus a hydrogen ion. And this we know, would know is NADH. Yes, Great. Uh, I left out an oxygen here. Somebody picked it up. <laughs> Just too, too excited by the annual Valentine's Day visit here. So. Um, I'm, I wish the rest of you had a song for you too, but we didn't have time to set that up. So, um, uh, so this, there's an important thing here too, because this is actually a lot of energy is stored in there. This is a bundle of energy in this molecule, it's actually about 50 kilocalories per mole. And especially when we get to next lecture, next week's lecture, you'll see how cells go around, go about extracting the energy out of that and making that energy into ATP, which is sort of a universal currency this, the cells can, can spend. Now, let me, uh, somebody asked about memorizing all of these structures. I mean, really, as, as Julia says in her thing, you're trying to get you to focus on the concepts here. You won't have to memorize the structure of everything. It would be helpful if you recognize that glutamine and glutamate are of the 20 amino acids, but we'll give you the structures, and we'll give you the, the structures of something like NADH if you need to do something with it. But the important thing is to remember that energy is stored in that high-energy bond of ATP, that electrons are stored in this NADH, and they can be used in reactions that oxidize or reduce NAD and NADH can be used in reactions that remove or, or uh, give electrons to biomolecules. Now, the same thing goes for what I'm about to tell you now because one of the first things that had to happen in, in, as life evolved was there had to be some mechanism uh, of getting energy made. 
And the reaction I'm going to tell you about is called glycolysis. And it's a way of taking a molecule of glucose or some uh, through a whole series of biochemical transformations and end up yielding two molecules of something that's known as pyruvate. And it also makes two molecules of ATP and two molecules of NADH. So it's a way that was invented in evolution of making ATP by carrying out a, ke the, a chemical transformation. And this is basically the same chemical transformation that we've been talking about that Lavoisier and Pasteur studied, except that it, um, as I'll show you, you, get, you, you do a little bit to convert it either to, to lactate or to ethanol, and get to that in a few minutes. Remember, when I, the point I also just to remind you, the reason I gave you that historical thing, because what it turned out when people started out to study something that was winemaking and of great interest to, to French scientists, was what they actually learned was how cells made energy. And in fact, here, we're, it's sort of looking, we're looking at a sort of a biochemical fossil in a way, because this pathway of glycolysis, which you'll see is, is kind of awkward. It's got 10 different biochemical steps, needs 10 different enzymes, and what the cells get out of it is two molecules of ATP. But this system developed, uh, apparently, way, way back in evolution before life forms got into these various kingdoms, because it's in virtually every, um, every uh, living creature, uh, no matter what it is, and it's essentially biochemically identical. Now, it's possible we could go back, or we could go nowadays and devise a better method, but once something like that gets fixed in evolution, if something mutates to try and change it, most time it's a disadvantage and so something gets locked in and this is true of many many of these very complicated biochemical pathways so you won't have to remember all these structures I'm going to put on the board but try and stay with me because I want to sort of show you one of these this is probably the most ancient of these of these pathways and it's still in all of us it's in the bacteria in our guts it's in the plants in the field go out in the open ocean organisms still can carry out um, glycolysis so uh, one thing, though, um, I want to try and put it in this way. If I came to you and I said, I've got the greatest idea. This is going to be how we're going to make energy and evolution as part of this entrepreneurship. I think you'd be right to be, to be skeptical, so I'll probably sort of tell you in that way. So um, I've already shown you how to uh, write glucose in a, in a linear form, although I then told you that most of the time in solution it's cyclized into a into um, a pyranose ring, a six-membered ring. But for the moment, we can think of glucose as a stick. And I'll get you to just focus on the one position, the two position, and the six position in that linear thing. If you look back at your notes, you can see what the full structure of glucose looks like. But this is how uh, uh, the process of glycolysis starts. This is if, if your body's going to take a molecule of glucose and make energy out of it. This is the first thing it does. It takes an ATP, converts it to an ADP, and 
puts the phosphate down here. to give glucose-6-phosphate. That's the only thing that changes. Isn't this just like most uh, young entrepreneurs give them some venture capital, the first thing they do is spend it, buy a nice potted plant for their, the company they're building. Doesn't seem to be, if you want to make energy, uh, starting out here, spending energy is the first thing that the cell's doing. It's using up an ADP, although the overall goal is to make ADP. It then uh, does a little shuffle, makes, it reverses the position of the um, double bond and the hydroxyl. This is a energetically something without much, without much cost. But this sugar is different because, and this is now fructose. 6-phosphate. It's got a little bit different arrangement of the double bond and the, and the hydroxyl, but energetically it's pretty much the same thing. Then the next thing that happens, cell spins another molecule of ATP, gives now Fructose 1, 6, this is the 6 position, the 1 position, the 2 position, 1, 6 diphosphate. Doesn't look like we're on our way to making energy yet. Cells invested two molecules of ATP, and what it's done is it's got this glucose transformed to fructose 1, 6 diphosphate. Well, what happens now then is the cell splits this into two 3-carbon units. There were six hex, six Glucoses, uh, six carbons in glucose, yeah. Is it what? Sorry. Well, there's it's a linear molecule. There's a phosphate here and a separate phosphate down there. Uh, they should be, yeah. I'm probably dropping uh, charges and hydroxyls, okay? But check your book. Um, if, if you notice something like, like that. So what we get, what the cell gets out of this then are two three-carbon units, one of which is this known as dihydroxyacetone phosphate, and you can find these names in your in your book, you don't have to, as I say, remember the structures. What I've done is taken, basically taken this molecule and I've flipped it over so that the phosphate will be down, and you'll see why I've done that in a sec. And from the bottom half of the molecule, then we get is uh, glyceralda, uh, glyceraldehyde 3 phosphate. So this is three carbons, this is three carbons, this was six carbons. So this, the cell has split it into these three carbon units that are very similarly related except where the double bond is. 
and there's an enzyme that actually catalyzes the conversion of those two. It's a catalytically perfect enzyme. It goes at, it's just limited by the rate of diffusion, and it can do something of the order of 10 to the eighth molecules a second. It's a really, really efficient catalyst. So what happens then is this, since these are in equilibrium, the cell is going to now start to pull these uh, This, but these will be converted into that and we'll be able to get here. So we're going to follow the fate then of these uh, two glyceraldehyde, three phosphate uh, molecules. Excuse me, sorry. Okay, now this, at this point, we were at the, the cell is at the aldehyde stage and it's going to carry out an oxidation reaction. So it's going to take a couple of electrons away from here and it's going to therefore be carrying out an oxidation. If something else, is, if, if the molecule is getting oxidized, something else has to be reduced. What's going to get reduced is NAD plus. We'll need two molecules of that because we've got two molecules of glyceraldehyde phosphate. So we end up with two molecules of NADH plus a hydrogen ion. And this is an energetically uh, favorable reaction. So the cell is able to sneak a phosphate in and make a molecule and still have the reaction go forward, have a molecule that's not very stable, but it can make it because the overall thing goes forward. Two of, uh, two of these, and what we have now is one, three, phosphoglycerate. What the cell has basically managed to do is to get two phosphate groups very, very close together. So you're probably getting the, hopefully, the concept that if you stick a bunch of negative charges together and hold them together, that molecules if you break one of those bonds, we're going to go energetically downhill and you can do work. And the way it does that then is in breaking this, this bond, it uses it to make two molecules of ATP. So we've now got, this is up at the acid level or a carboxyl group. got three phosphoglycerate. So at least from the point of view of this is a plan for making energy, we've now managed to get back those two ATPs we invested. So up till now, we've got our, the money, the venture capital money we put in has been recovered, but, and we've got a couple of molecules of NADH out of it. But uh, what the cell now does is finish, carry out some more steps that let it make a couple more molecules of, um, of ATP. So the first step then is a kind of just a switcheroo 
between where this hydroxyl is and this phosphate is, so it brings the phosphate up to here. You might, as you might guess, this is energetically not much of a change. However, what it does now is it enables the, uh, the cell to eliminate a molecule of water from here. So we get two molecules of water come out because we had all along here, we're carrying on two molecules from, uh, from up there. As we had two of these three, three carbon units, then the molecule that we then get here is a this molecule, which is known as phosphoenol pyruvate. And several of you are saying you don't remember uh, much from chemistry. So this is a keto group, which I know you were introduced to. But it's in an equilibrium with what's termed an enol form, where you have an OH here, a double bond like that, and that's known as an enol. Now, this is energetically greatly disfavored, so normally there's most of the time you find something in a keto form, but occasionally you find it in an enol form. And what, what's happened here, really, is the cell has trapped what would like to be a keto at this position in an enol form. Again, this is an, a very energetically unstable molecule, you've got all these oxygens together, two of these, and so the cell is once again able to take ADP and make two molecules of ATP, and we end up with two molecules of pyruvate. An extraordinary amount of work. What do we get out of it? Well, we've got a total of four ATPs now, plus two NADHs. What did we invest? Two ATPs. So the net yield of this, from this reaction, is two ATPs plus two NADHs. So strange as it seems, this must be one of, this was one of the first sequences of biochemical uh, steps that were put together in a pathway that, was cap that were capable of letting an organism generate uh, molecules of ATP, or sort of a form of energy money, by metabolizing something it could find, like a, a molecule of sugar. There are 10 enzymatic steps. That means that there has to be a separate enzyme for every uh, step in the, in the pathway. Now, the ATPs, as I said, have energy in bundles of about 12 kilocalories per mole. There's a lot of energy here in NADH. And in the next lecture, I'm going to talk to you about respiration, which is something you, you're aware of. You know we respire, but chemically, what, uh, what that we'll see means is basically it's a way of extracting the energy that's in the NADH by transferring 
the electrons to, to oxygen. And um, that's a, a wonderful way to make energy. It's far more efficient than, than this ancient pathway. But at the time life started, there wasn't any oxygen in the environment. And in fact, it didn't reach, as I said, uh, I think it was something like 20% of, of today's levels till we were about half a billion years or so ago uh, in, in evolution. So organisms had to make, learn to make energy without oxygen being around, and this was the way that they, that they did it, and it was such a success in evolution that our bodies do it, the bacteria in our gut do it, and it's virtually all living forms. So it's sort of a biochemical fossil, but it was so successful it took hold. It's sort of like legs. Those appeared in, in evolution, and there's all sorts of organisms that uh, now that use legs and they've evolved into wings and everything, but it's all the same basic idea. You could imagine a life form that started with wheels, and maybe if it had been the first thing to do, maybe there'd be some sort of organisms with wheels, but legs were such a, a success at some point that that's what got used, and then uh, evolution made various embellishments on it. But there is a problem here. I don't know if anybody can see it, uh, what it is, if I'm going to you be able to use ATP to make energy, and I want to keep keep um, uh, generating more and more molecules of ATP so I can build stuff. Uh, I can't give the high, the, those electrons in NADH to oxygen. So what would happen if I just kept running this system? Anybody see what the problem would be? Yeah, you'd run out of NAD exactly. We need to somehow recycle that NAD so it can take place. If we could give it to oxygen, we, oxygen, as I'll tell you in respiration, that'd be cool. But organisms didn't have that option. And so they worked out ways of doing things with pyruvate. And this is where you'll see this coming together with what we talked about the other day. So let's take those two molecules of pyruvate. And they're basically two strategies, two major strategies you find in nature. One is to take the two NADHs plus two hydrogen ions and convert it to two molecules of NAD plus. So that regenerates it. And what do you get if you do that? You end up with this molecule. Two molecules of that, which I introduced you to the other day. That's lactic acid or lactate. The organisms that make uh, yogurt carry out, that's what they do. That's why yogurt goes sour, what the organisms are doing when they're making the yogurt that you, that you had for lunch. I, I love those pictures. I just <laughs> found them on the web, put them in. Um, uh, what they're doing really is they're getting rid of that NADH so that they can do another cycle and make, make more energy. Now I mentioned that we, this happens to us too and this happens in events, athletic events where you exercise really, really hard, you know, like sprints or speed skating or something like that. Because what happens is you're exercising so hard that you burn the, you use up the oxygen in your muscles faster than it your bloodstream can bring you more. So what you're doing is you're making your muscles go anaerobic. It's like you're going back way, way in evolution when there was no oxygen in the, um, around, and your muscles have to keep, keep
keep working. So what they do is they, since there's no oxygen around, they stick it on pyruvate and you get lactic acid in your muscles. So that's it. If you go out and for the track team in, in the spring and you haven't exercised, you, you run a whole lot of sprints and God, your muscles are so sore. They're all full of lactic acid. So you don't have to worry about it accumulating in your muscles from eating yogurt, but it does show up in this, in this kind of way. And the other thing then that way nature's found to recycle these NADHs is to do this way carry out a transformation where you get two moles of molecules of carbon dioxide and two molecules of acetaldehyde. And this can be converted to the two molecules of carbon dioxide and two molecules of ethanol. So this is the, the fermentation that we, that we talked about. Um, and so when those yeasts that we saw, uh, oops, the yeast that we saw growing the other day are busy metabolizing sugar in, into uh, ethanol and carbon dioxide. The reason they're doing it is they need to get energy to carry out all the biosynthetic reactions that, that they need to make more biomaterial. But what's happening in, to the whole system is that you're generating carbon dioxide and making stuff into ethanol. So it doesn't matter if people are making wine or beer or something they're going to distill to make whiskey or brandy or something. It's all the basic thing. The yeast take the sugars, make it into carbon dioxide and to ethanol. When you're making bread, you're only really interested in the carbon dioxide because those little bubbles then expand when you heat it up and that's what makes, what makes uh, bread rise. And that was an open fermentation, as you can guess, like in making wine, people like to have it closed, uh, a closed system, so that, for example, a lactic acid bacteria doesn't get in and turn your whole set of grapes into something that would be, would be uh, sour, sour wine. So that's where we'll, we'll stop today. The most, most ancient of these energy and producing things, again, you don't have to remember, memorize all this. But I think, hopefully, if you'll think about it, you'll see some really, really important concepts that are critical to understanding how life works. Okay? See you on Wednesday. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah.